You're listening to the only place on the internet that offers the perfect blend of high-quality premium cigars and cryptocurrency news and commentary. Welcome to Cigars and Crypto. Now here's your host, Invest Noir. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this episode of Cigars and Crypto. You know who it is. It's your boy, Noir. And let me tell you how excited I am to have Brandon Smitana, also known as Synth, one of the co-founders of Skycoin. Brother, how are you today, man? Hey, great. Outstanding. Outstanding. I want, first and foremost, I want to say thank you so much for waking up so early to have this discussion with me. I think you're like 12 hours in front of me, right? Yeah, the yeah. Sh- I'm in Shanghai right now. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, man, I'm so glad that you uh, were able to join me and we were able to find time to connect with each other. So I am not one to mix words. I want to jump right in. Brandon, how did you get into crypto? Oh, that's a that's a long story. So I, I was in Bitcoin from the beginning. Uh, even I, I think before Bitcoin was launched, there were a bunch of other coins like Hash Cash and Charm Cash. And I would consider these to be social experiments. They all failed. And Bitcoin, I also think, is a social experiment. And um, and Bitcoin looked like it was failing for like the first year, two two years. Like people, some people started using it, then they stopped using it, then a new group came in, and it seemed to be like a new group of people coming in like every six months and so on. And I, I was there from on the cypherpunks mailing lists and sort of the, the IRC like hacker groups like Anon and, and um, uh, what's it called? Cryptome. And, um, and there were like three different little like cypherpunk crypto insider groups. Um, and the group I was in, a lot of the people there were actually working for the, uh, basically they're all U S like department of defense contractors that were doing cryptography because basically everyone who does cryptography is working for the government in some form or another. And it was very funny cause this, they were all Ron Paul supporters and they're like, we need to end the federal reserve and we need to take back the money and down with the government. <laughs> you know, they're like either anarchists or like, you know, Ron Paul libertarians. <laughs> and this was one of <laughs> and they all work for the department of defense. So I was right. Right. It, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so um i i was in that so anyway i i did some stuff um before bitcoin um i actually think that the unspent output idea that they used in bitcoin to build it i think i might have wrote that and then someone else copied it and then wrote a thing about it and, and said it was his idea and then so, someone else used that in order to build bitcoin and and that was that was so long ago um but so then anyway i i I sort of ignored bitcoin i was looking at it and i didn't really play with it because i'll wait like a year wait two years see if it was working then around the time it was maybe ten thousand bitcoin per dollar i had to go back in and I, i did some stuff and i ended up um fixing some bugs in bitcoin like you know, porting it to so that we compile under Linux and things like that. And then I was working at a hedge fund. Um, this is a company called Market Psych Advisors. And basically, um, I got pulled in by this company in New York, which was a dark pool, and they wanted me to audit Bitcoin. And they were asking, is this a Ponzi scheme? Are they offering returns to investors? Is this real? Is it, 
Is it, is it a pump and dump? Is there technology viable? Can we use it? And so they had all these questions and there, and a lot of it was just, what is this thing? I heard about it, but what is it? How, you know, how are these people issuing their own currencies? you know, with the software and, and does it, and, and I had to explain to them that no Bitcoin doesn't pay return, pay you returns. It's not a Ponzi scheme. Like you're not giving them money and they're giving you an interest and in paying, you know, or something like that. Or there's some pool of money that they can steal. And I had to, I said it was an asset and therefore it's not a Ponzi scheme. And I had to, and I, I was on the internet actually fighting with a lot of the people in the early days when everyone was saying Bitcoin was a scam. And, and I have a funny story about that because there was a VP of this company, their, their vice president of engineering or something at, at this huge company that just did an IPO, billion dollar Silicon Valley dot com, you know, insider. And they're in this Facebook channel fighting with me saying Bitcoin's a scam, Bitcoin's a scam. And all of his friends are saying Bitcoin's a scam. And I'm like, no, it's not a Ponzi scheme. No, they don't pay you interest on your returns. It's just an asset. And then I would show like graphs showing that the Bitcoin price had been increasing 1% per day for five years or something, you know, and they don't care or whatever it was. And they don't care. They're like, no, no, it's a scam. And they're laughing at me. And so because of this guy, these people didn't buy uh, Bitcoin. These venture capitalists, these people in Silicon Valley, when it was like at one penny, and <laughs> <laughs> and I was and I told them to you know you should get some of even a thousand dollars. You know you should get it. It's cheap. it's increasing one percent a day. What other asset has been increasing one percent a day for so long for this many years? And I, I had the graph and I did the data analysis and, and all this. Yeah. So the, anyway, he, he, they listened to him. They all lost money, and then afterwards they were pissed at him, and then he was pissed at me and started fighting with me or something because these other people he told not to invest in the, in you know in the, in the in this core, and it's it's just like a it's, it it was just absurd. I was I was there the whole t whole time, and you know watching the whole process. And so when we start, when the Bitcoin was started, it was all Ron Paul libertarians. And it was about taking back, uh, you know, control of the currency for the people and getting rid of the federal reserve. And, and basically over time, when about when Bitcoin hit a thousand dollars, almost everyone rushing in was just there to make money and make a quick buck. And, uh, and you know, it was, they were getting really greedy and everything was about making money fast, right? Lambos and moons. But but, but people who even forget before <laughs> that, you know, it was about liberating the people. And, and it was about the two, uh, no one trusts the banks because of the 2008 financial crisis. And and all the people who had their money stolen in, in the Cyprus bail-ins, which were probably more bail-ins after the next financial crisis. And, you know, it's, so this just keeps going on and on. So I, I was there from the beginning, I think, until, you know, the whole time, like all 10 years. I saw everything. See, now that, my friend, is interesting. I I don't think I know of anyone who's been in crypto as long as you. I don't think I've spoken to anyone that's been in crypto as long as you. Um, from the back end, not necessarily as like a trader or miner or an investor, but just in the the, the code behind it, the things that make it what it is. You know, I think things, I think that's really cool, man. I think that's really, really cool. So we heard your, gen your genesis story. Let's talk about your red pill moment. Has there been or will there be a moment where you say, you know what? This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, 
I think I, I, I think I had several of those moments. Um, what was very funny is when when this Bitcoin was started, we thought that the government was going to come in and just execute the developers, like that they were going to just send a SWAT team to their house, raid them, or you know put a bullet in their head. We thought that the U.S. government was going to crack down hard because we saw what happened to this. Uh, there was like DigiCash and eGold, and we saw that most of the people who had tried to do these new currency projects ended up in prison <laughs> or dead or you know this or that. So, um, I, you know, because obviously when you're, you're doing something like this, you're, you're challenging the central government power. And what happened was I met this guy, a guy in L.A. and he's a very uh, he's very wealthy. Right. And, and he's and I, and I said, you know, I don't I'm not sure if I should do this. Um, you know, the government's going to come to my house with a SWAT team and put a bullet in my head. Um, you know, and he and he said, no, no, you have to do it. And I'm like, what? So you have these people that are like billionaires or you know semi billionaires, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we need Bitcoin. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And um, and he brought me to this this meeting um, with this group that was like managing. It was some like fund of funds or something I'd never heard of, and they were managing like 250 billion dollars for some pension fund. And this guy's like on the nonprofit of some company, like you know, like Save the Kittens you know, or whatever the, his non the nonprofit <laughs> is. <laughs> and they don't do anything on these nonprofit boards. It's just like a bunch of rich people sitting around like, and they're just like talking shit. And he's, and one of the guys brought up Bitcoin and it was talking about how Bitcoin can get, you know, save the unbanked and these billions of people who don't have bank accounts and how Bitcoin's going to allow them to have bank accounts and, and how it's going to, you know, save the world or something right and and so he started asking about bitcoin and what, what i was really interested in was that these people these billionaires they you think the people people who run they exist own the own the world right they really like this bitcoin and what i didn't understand at the time is that everyone hates the bankers everyone in in the they think they have too much control they have too much power they're out of control so basically the at one point the us banking establishment tried to outlaw bitcoin but then all of these rich people basically just ganged up on them and made the government like drag their feet and you know stop them from doing that and if that guy if he hadn't told me no you have to do he's like you're young you have to do this like it doesn't matter if you're going to get shot you know <laughs> um uh, if he wouldn't have told me that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it, or got involved. That's with it. powerful motivation. That's powerful motivation, brother. All right. So that's this. That's your red pill moment, man. That's awesome. So let's move forward into what you're doing today. Tell my listeners about Skycoin. Mm. So Skycoin is a really old crypto project and uh, not too much marketing because it's mostly, it's mostly been engineers. And I think we had more marketing, a little bit more marketing recently than we had before. But the idea behind Skycoin was to re-engineer uh, Bitcoin um, and, and add things that we thought were, were necessary. So Sky, this project is 10 years old, so it's evolved a lot. So what we started doing initially was is different than what we're doing today so we started with a new consensus algorithm because in bitcoin we have this thing called a hash uh, hashing power and whoever has the hashing power determines the next block so they get to choose um which transactions go into the next block and they get to take the fees on those transactions but we thought that a government like China or Russia or the United States might decide that Bitcoin was strategically relevant and that they needed to control it. And so we say, okay, 
if you have an infinite amount of money, you can buy the majority of the hashing power and take over Bitcoin. So by so basically, the way that Bitcoin works is proof of work. And you say whoever has the most money will control Bitcoin. And we didn't think that was an appropriate. It, it'll work for now. It'll work for the next ten years. But we didn't think that was an appropriate way of uh, securing the network. Just saying whoever has the most hashing power controls the network because what you're saying is whoever has the most money can buy hashing power to control the network. And we know exactly. that if, if governments, Russia, China, the U.S. decides that it's Bitcoin, something that they need to control, that it's strategically relevant or that it's a threat to them, that they might actually spend $10 billion or $15 billion, relatively small amount of money for them to go in and try to control the network. So we started developing a new thing called Obelisk, which was a new way of doing consensus that, in my opinion, is better than proof of work and, pro and proof of stake. And it's based on a, a social consensus method. And we also, uh, one of the things I realized very quickly is that Bitcoin is just, a, it was a prototype, a social experiment. We, even today, you cannot find one blockchain application where people are using blockchain for an economic reason. For instance, for a payment for some type of service that they're using. So we wanted to develop applications where people had to use blockchain or applications where it made sense for people to use blockchain. So we thought of things like video games and we eventually came up with this thing called, uh, because you had, you had currencies like the Linden dollar for Second Life or World of Warcraft gold. And so we thought things like that would naturally eventually transition to blockchain. But even after 10 years, you've noticed there's not a major game like World of Warcraft or Diablo 3 or Second Life. There's no really big game that's transitioned their digital currency on the blockchain, which is surprising because you would think that would be the very first thing you would do with this technology. And what this means is we're also still in the early stage of the, of the development of blockchain. We're still in the first 10 years and we have another 20 years left until, or maybe 10 or 15 years, and depending on how this financial crisis turns out. I think it'll accelerate the adoption a lot, but um, we have a bit of time left until we see blockchain as sort of a mainstream adoption or it's used as a payment channel. Um, because So one of the things we decided was we needed to create applications to drive the value or drive the usage of whatever, of this token that we developed, you know, of this uh, new blockchain platform. So we developed this thing called Skywire, which is a, basically a sort of a community broadband project where uh, a city or a small village or a you know, bunch of farmers, whatever it is, can go and get network equipment and um, put it on their houses and connect their uh, premise up. And they basically become basically their own ISP. And they're able to earn coins just owning the network infrastructure. So we wanted to take something like telecom and communications, something that everyone in the world uses every day, that's ubiquitous, and we wanted to be able to provide that at a lower cost in a sort of a DIY format, um, and especially for the developing world. So in areas like Africa, there's parts of Africa where people are spending 30 to 40% of their disposable income on cell phone data so that they can send photos of their family and this and that, and they have a telecom monopoly, and the infrastructure isn't well-developed. So we wanted to create a... A solution for them and also in the United States like if I want gigabit internet I can just go buy equipment and install it myself I don't need to go and beg Google Fiber to come to my neighborhood
I can, I can become my own ISP. I can earn money from this. I can, um, and, and, you know, so I, and I, and also you avoid the things like the NSA spying and, the um, and, you know, these corporations tracking you and, you know, so there's a lot of advantages to, um, to this. And so we started also, that was one of the very early projects that we started six years ago. And then just this year, I think last year, the mainnet launched and now we're, fi we fixed all the mainnet bugs and we are launching a new, the new version, which is almost a corporate grade version and, and improving the interface and, uh, you know, uh, just fixing a lot of bugs and performance issues and things like that to get it up to the level where a small business or, you know, a business with maybe, you know, 5,000 or 10,000 employees can sort of use this networking solution for what they call like virtual LAN and things that these corporations are doing. So, so we built this networking technology that has a lot of different applications and which is monetized through Skycoin. And I think eventually that's going to be the primary driver of Skycoin usage because if you actually look at a cryptocurrency, to me as a software developer, there's only two functions. One is um, maybe uh, look at the balance of an address and that if I have coins in an address, uh, sending the coins from one address to another address. So, so a coin is really generate an address for the coin is one, two, check the balance of the address, and three, send money from one address to another address. And to me, those are the three fundamental things that a coin does. But that's it's very it's very boring, right? Like uh, there's not much you can you you can do with that. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then blockchain, I think also uh, people are obsessed about tokens, but to me as a software developer, blockchain is just a database technology. So we developed a platform called Fiber in our own programming language called CX. And the idea is that we're eventually, I think this year, going to be able to start taking things like Twitter and Telegram and Facebook and YouTube. And we're going to be able to decentralize them because we're going to have 100,000 blockchains. Like you can have your own blockchain for your Twitter. You can have your own blockchain for your video channel, your YouTube channel. You can have your own blockchain for your chat groups, right? And you can, um, and anyone in the world who wants a copy of that data can replicate a copy of it, right? Peer to peer. And so we don't need Twitter anymore to store our data. We don't need Facebook. We don't need Google, you know, these huge monopolies basically controlling all of our data. And so this is um, part of this, what I would call a new decentralized internet or like a web 3.0 standard that we're building. Hey guys, it's your boy Noir. You know we cannot have cigars and crypto without the cigars. So I want to invite everyone to check out 5under20.com. It's the perfect place on the internet to find all of your cigar 5 packs for under 20 bucks. Yes, you heard it right. Cigars, 5 packs, under $20. Visit 5under20.com today. Bixi is an easy-to-use cryptocurrency exchange. Get verified in minutes. Buy and sell popular cryptocurrencies on a safe, compliant, insured U.S. exchange. Enjoy everything you need in one place. A two-way ramp for major currencies, credit and debit card support, an industry-leading API, responsive customer support, and a five-star mobile app. Love your primary cryptocurrency exchange? If not... Make the switch to Beeksy today.
visit Beeksy by clicking the link in the description. When I started building this, people said it's crazy. No one, why would you even need this? You know, this blah, 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 blah. And what happened though is now we have the Chinese internet, we're gonna have the Iranian internet, we're gonna have the European Union internet, we're gonna have the American internet, we're gonna have the Brazilian internet. There's not gonna be a global internet anymore like we have today. It's gonna be the American internet, this is the Russian internet, this is the Chinese internet, and they're gonna be completely incompatible. Like China was banned from using Android by some executive order under Trump, so they're going to develop their own domestic Android. So an app that works in China will not be compatible with an American phone. Like if you buy an American phone, there's no insurance that that, that they're not that you can even install an app for, for China, right? And you buy a Chinese phone, and you won't be able to install an American app, and they'll be on separate networks. Like uh, Russia's starting to try to ban all over uh, access to overseas servers. China already do has been doing it for a while now. So if you're in China, you may have trouble access, you can't access Google, you can't access Twitter. You can, they, have a, they have their own search engine like Baidu and they have their own Twitter like uh, Weibo. And um, so we have a, now an internet for each country instead of global internet. So we built an interoperability standard in this new networking protocol and a new data storage protocol and application programming language so that we can sort of re-decentralize uh, this data so that we can build a you know a new a new global internet on top of this sort of uh, balkanized internet. So so this was one of the major things for Skycoin, and also so that's the consumer side. But on the corporate side, we we had a lot of people like a company that has kiosks in Brazil, right? And they were using Twitter to update the content and the ads on the kiosk. And it turns out that the government or certain ISP would just unplug the cable overseas and they, they you know, they couldn't connect to the server for four hours at a time, six hours at a time. And, uh, but within Brazil, the internet's very fast between two providers, but the overseas traffic is actually starting to become sort of unre unreliable for a lot of business operations. So businesses like Starbucks and uh, companies that are operating 100,000 locations, they have their own internal corporate network with this thing called MPLS from Cisco, which is very expensive. So we developed a cheaper, open source free version of that that's using our networking protocol for sort of small businesses and what's called... Uh, virtual LAN. And so that's, I think, gonna, on not only on the consumer side with the centralized social media applications, but I think on the corporate side, we're, we're build, sort of building up offerings and hardware and things like that. So uh, there's just a lot. Skycode is a huge project. It's There's just like, there's actually too much going on. I, I've been trying to, I'm sort of the lead project manager, so I've been trying to sort of scale back because before we were doing like 25 things and now I only want to do 12, th 12 things at once, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's much easier to manage when you're just doing 12 as opposed to 25. Yeah. So, Brandon, let me ask you one, one last question. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the future of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in the next three to five years? I think in three to five years, nothing is nothing is going to change very much. But I think in ten year, in eight years or ten years, people are going to be sh shocked that if you told them where it's it's going to be compared to where it is today, they would be shocked. 
when I was in crypto and uh, so first of all, I think the price of Bitcoin is going to go up a lot. And I think that we might see Bitcoin at 60,000 or maybe even at peak 150,000 before crashing. And I think it might be around 90 to 120,000. And the reason I, I believe that was uh, several things. First of all, we're going, we've had a financial crisis last year in July with the repo market. And it was a very large financial crisis, but it didn't reach the media. They didn't want to panic people. They didn't because they didn't want people like pulling money out of the bank, thinking like, you know, HSBC or Deutsche Bank is going to go under and things like that. So they didn't want to cause bank runs and panic. So they, so they did it very quietly, right? Last August, they implement measures. And then we had this virus and the US GDP is down 30%. So what do they do? The, the federal, uh, the Fed comes in like they did in 2008 and they start printing up massive amounts of money. And now they're, it used to take them one year to print up a trillion dollars. Now they're printing up a trillion dollars a month and they're going to be printing up a trillion dollars a week if the crisis gets worse. And I think it will. So uh, all of this money somehow ends up in gold and crypto and the stock market and financial markets, of course. So that's going to be one of the major things that's going to be driving inflation and which is going to be driving um, Bitcoin to go crazy. So I think a lot of people who have Bitcoin are going to be happy. And I think a lot of people that own other assets like stocks, I think that you know they might be surprised what's going to happen. And I think people who have pensions may even have their pensions cut 50% or lose their pension or um, there's a lot of chaos going on and we may even have capital controls. So right now you can move money between any two countries and no one stops you. Right. And, and in the, in the, um, in Britain, they stopped capital controls in the seventies, I think under Thatcher. So you could move as much money in and out of the country as you want and no one asks you any questions. Right. And, now we might have capital controls back where the government says you can only move $20,000 a month out of the country or you're, you have an, you know, like China does where they tell its citizens, you can only spend $50,000 a year overseas, right? So they try to control their capital reserves. So I think a lot of rules of the international financial system that we've been living under that we're just used to are going to change very rapidly in response to the crisis coming up. And I think those changes, uh, are going to benefit Bitcoin because if I can't move money to the traditional banking system because of capital controls, I'm just going to use Bitcoin, right? And they're going to keep the money in Bitcoin. They're not going to convert it back to fiat because it just becomes a pain in the ass with taxes and regulation and reporting and capital controls. And, and, and it's just like China where you can move money in, but you can't move money out, right? And no one wants their money stuck somewhere over here when you need the money over there, especially for international companies. So I think that the adoption of crypto is going to, maybe 10 years from now, maybe even it might take 20 years, is going to become something that's ubiquitous. It's going to be something that people eventually use every day for payment, paying bills or shopping. Or, um, But I think it's going to take a while. And I, I think... So over three to five, I think over three to five years, I think the, the besides the Bitcoin price going up in the next crisis, I I don't really see a lot of change. Um, but over ten years or fifteen years, I think it, it's going to be a, a radical change. And I think that like we'll see companies, small companies, issuing their stock on, as a crypto asset, and from the first day that stock will be on an, an exchange, it'll be tradable. There'll be a secondary market for that for the people buying and selling that stock. So from the day that you start a company, it'll be a publicly traded company um, because of crypto. 
And I think that it, it's also going to be a way to you know sell the stock directly to investors in order to raise money. And I think that's the small businesses that take advantage of that are going to benefit. Um, and I think those there's going to be small changes like that. And I think we're going to see more and more assets being put onto blockchain. Um, I don't think in three to five years we're going to see any more ICOs or basically new cryptos because. It, it, I think it, we mostly have the existing coins that we have now. And I think 90% of those coins don't have any software developers and they're sort of like dead projects, even though they have very large $100 million market caps. And I think that people got wary of ICOs. So if you were trying to start a new crypto company today, you can't raise $200 million to do that. And so there's not going to be more competition in the crypto market. And I think that blockchain is going to move away from being about tokens, currency, to being more about databases. So if I if blockchain is something I want to put my data on, my tweets, my Facebook data, my photos, my video, blockchain is going to be less about tokens and more about just a database technology because that's fundamentally what it is. It has nothing to do with tokens at all. The tokens are just something stored on the database. Um, and so as we move away from tokens as a blockchain to, to launch tokens to make money by raising money from investors and doing ICOs and speculating and, you know, basically gambling. I think that we're going to see uh, a more pragmatic adoption, which is a blockchain, which is to tokens have to have a use. There has to be an application or a reason for people to use them. So that's why we Skycoin created things like Skywire and things because we wanted there to be a, a networking service and we wanted the payments to be in a cryptocurrency because we felt that was the most effective way to do that. So you have to build a service around your token in order to drive growth if you want to see a long-term growth. Otherwise, the only people buying and selling the token are speculators, which it goes up, it goes down, pump it, dump it, whatever, but it's not, it's not going in any particular direction. Whereas if I have uh, an a application and my user base is growing at 10% a month, the coin price should grow at 10% a month. So what I want for Skycoin is I want it to be the first crypto where the crypto price is linked to some real-world economic activity or linked to an installed base of, for instance, networking equipment. Um, so, th so that's very important for me as a milestone in, in crypto is to sort of link the price of the cryptocurrency back to something tangible in the real economy. And I think that... Um, so, and, I, and the most important thing, though, is uh, so some coin, most coins will die because they have no use. They're just they're just speculative tokens. Bitcoin will survive because it has the largest liquidity. It has the best brand. But I think even coins like Ethereum are suffering. You know, they're really suffering in the market. Most of the money is going into Bitcoin. It's not even the second tier coins like Ethereum aren't seeing anything. So there's a rule in investing where most of the money goes to the markets that have the deepest liquidity and they have the deepest liquidity because they have the deepest liquidity. You know, it's the most people are trading on that because the other people are trading on it. So um, for a reserve currency or something that's used internationally, people only care about the, the liquidity, how easily they can exchange it for something else. And for Bitcoin in that respect is much better than Ethereum. And so as we see, people coming into crypto to use it as an international payment method, they're only coming into Bitcoin. They're not even, they're skipping Ethereum. They're skipping the number two, the number three, the number four. Um, so I think the coins that don't have a use case, a reason for people to use the coin, they're going to die. 
and and there's going to be a small number of coins that uh, create some pragmatic like an ecosystem or something where that can drive adoption and retain users where people have to use the coin and if those communities grow the price of the coin will grow and i think on the other on the other side the blockchain will be used as a database instead of a means of issuing tokens and what that means is uh, consumer applications like decentralized Twitter, decentralized Facebook, decentralized Telegram. I think that in five years, we're going to see a blockchain-based decentralized version of every type of application that we currently use on the, on the internet. So like Facebook, messaging, websites, blogging, tweeting, video streaming. And at the beginning, those, are, those applications are gonna be very crude, very difficult to use. And by the end of five or 10 years, they're gonna be identical to a non-blockchain, non-decentralized based web application. And at that point, people are not gonna know that they're using blockchain, but they're not gonna pay for it. They're never going to pay to use Twitter. They're never going to pay for the, the video platform, right? So um, I don't. there's not going to be a token. There's not going to be gas. There's not going to be fees on this. And, and so I, re I realized when we were developing our platform for Skycoin, we just gave up this notion of, ga of this gas and nickel and diming people every, trans every time they click the button, right? Like in Ethereum, every time you, you invoke a smart contract or do something, you have to pay money which, you know, pay, click, a, click a button and press $3, right? Every time you click a button. Now, imagine if you're on Twitter and every time you post a tweet, they want to charge you 50 cents, right? This is ridiculous. Like, this, this won't work. We, we, went, we went away from, that was the beginning, like when you sent a text message, they charge you 10 cents. Now it's, everything's free, right? They just move to Twitter. You don't pay anything. So I think, right. that, I think that we're going down that model, we're going down that road in terms of monetization and we're going away from this gas. And, and I think that's why a lot of these Silicon Valley companies coming into blockchain are going to fail because they're just trying to put up like a toll booth so they can charge you like 10 cents a text message. Right. Um, and, and when they came in, they, they couldn't imagine how blockchain could be used without charging people, you know, money for every click they made. Right. And I, and I think that attitude is, one of the things on a software development side for as a developer, one of the things that's holding it back because they, instead of making it simple, like we just did the simplest thing that would work the best thing for the software developer to, to get their application working. Instead of doing that, they've, they've created very complicated platforms like EOS and Ethereum and, um, and some other ones and some more complicated ones coming out of Silicon Valley that just make everything a pain in the ass because the only purpose of the platform is to nick, put up a toll booth and nickel and dime people. So I, I, I think that we're going to start moving away from that and we're going to start moving. Uh, so when you're using blockchain as a database technology, you don't care about this tokens or how many fees you got or, you know, trying to charge people money every transaction. It just doesn't make sense. I understand my friend. Hey, I want to thank you for your insights. I want to thank you for waking up so early to talk to me. <laughs> I want to thank you for rushing in the office and making sure that uh, my listeners got a chance to learn about you and Skycoin. So tell us where we can find you online. Oh, just uh, skycoin.com. This, this website's two to three years old. We're, built, we're going into sort of new bubble now, so we're, we're rebuilding the website. But um, yeah, just skycoin.com. Okay. 
and make sure you follow them on Twitter at Skycoin Project. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Smitana, otherwise known as Synth, co-founder of Skycoin. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you joining me this evening.